Would you please stand for the reading of the gospel? A gospel reading today comes from Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 to 20. And Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, Lord Christ. Would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, uh, we give you thanks that you have brought us here to learn more about you, Lord, to grow closer to you, Lord, to dive deeper into what you have revealed to us through your scriptures. So, Lord, we pray that you would send your Holy Spirit now to move in our hearts and our minds, Lord, to draw us closer to you. Lord, help us to know you more. And we pray all these things in your Son's name. Amen. If you would, please grab a seat. Good morning. Well, welcome to Apostles uh, on this uh, nice, cool summer morning. Uh, seems to be the trend right in Houston these days, cool weather. Um, well, we we're thankful that you braved the heat to come and, and worship with us here. Uh, we're so glad if you're visiting with us. We are especially glad that you are here. And, and we pray that this is a time that as we dive into God's word, as we worship him and pray together, um, that you come and, and you encounter God face to face. That's our prayer each and every single week. And that's our prayer for each and every single day, right? Um, so during the course of the last few weeks, what we've been doing in accordance with this prayer that we would encounter God is we've been walking through the Gospel of Matthew, taking little chunks each week and diving deeper and deeper into God's Word uh, and to explore who He is, who He's revealed to us that He is, what He's trying to tell us about our life today. What does all this mean as revealed through Matthew's Gospel? And That's no small task because there's a whole, whole lot. And each week there's more that we could even begin to cover to explore. And that's what we would love to connect you with life groups and other discussions. We have resources online so that we can continue this study further. Because the Gospel of Matthew is incredible because the Gospels help to bring to light more and more about who Jesus is. I mean, he's being revealed and through his birth and through all of his ministry, these incredible things that all the scripture, all the Bible speaks to. And if you notice also, this isn't the only time we have scripture as part of our service. Each week we read multiple passages from the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament. We read a psalm responsibly together this morning. Our prayers You may recognize scripture and some of the prayers that we have. When we come up to the table for for communion, you're going to hear uh, the tones of scripture revealed in the things that we say and the things that we pray. All of our service is based and founded on this book, on the Bible. And we do this because we believe that the Bible is essential. Now, you may be thinking... 
Well, <laughs> of course, this is a church. I hope that you think the Bible is at least somewhat important in church. And that's true. But we do believe, believe the Bible isn't just essential for church and for us as Christians to kind of look at for worship and things. That the Bible is essential for every single moment of every single day of our life. That we study scripture, we read it, we pray it. And we do that because we believe that the power and the role of scripture has in our lives, has the power to change us, to transform us, to tell us more about who God is. This God that sometimes we say, well, I don't know if I could believe in a God who would X, Y, Z, whatever. He reveals us to that so we can know the God who would do or allow X, Y, and Z. It's not only for church gatherings. This is for everything in life. In our New Testament reading today, Paul is writing uh, this letter to Timothy. And in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, uh, we have this scripture up here. It's, Paul says this, that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete Equipped for every good work. Now, there's a whole lot in these two verses, much less the rest of the passage and the rest of the Bible. But here's a couple things to note as we kind of dive in further into our study of Matthew. And that first thing is that all Scripture is breathed out by God. It's breathed out by God. Now, if we look throughout Scripture, one of the things we'll see, especially in creation, is that the breath of God gives life. It is a life-giving breath. It's more than just an exhalation of, you know, carbon dioxide. It's bigger than that. That when God breathes, life is the result of that. And it's a fact that Paul makes sure to note here when he's talking about Scripture, that it's breathed out by God. This written word gives life. It is living it's more than just a book. This is a living word of who God is. And that may sound strange. And it may seem like, well, then what, is, I mean, what does that mean? And he follows that up. He answers the question for us. He says that it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Is that not powerful? Is that not amazing? is good for teaching, for reproof, for all these things, for training, for righteousness. Sometimes we, we may think that, yeah, the Bible's a, a good guidebook for life. It's a good kind of how-to that we can somewhat follow, like, you know, like an Ikea thing, that if we miss a couple screws here and there, like, this, it's probably going to still stand up. But it's so much bigger than that because it has so much more weight and power than that. Those Ikea things, we build them knowing that they're not going to last forever. We know that there's a temporal time to it. But the Word of God, He's saying, look, this isn't just a guidebook, that, a couple of instructions that are suggestions for life. This is what gives you life. It trains us. And there are a lot of questions that can come out of this and arise from this. One of the first things that we may ask is like, well, how, how does that actually happen, right? That makes sense. Hey, God breathed this living word and it changes your life. What? How does that work? That sounds good, but, but how is this actually effective? Or 
You may be thinking this too. You may be a little more just like, what in the world does this have to do with Matthew? And that's where we're going right now. So I promise it all makes sense. Or I hope it does. So when we, let's jump into our reading from Matthew today. So we got Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. And this is a continuation uh, of the Sermon on the Mount. Now, the last few weeks, we've been exploring the Sermon on the Mount. This is probably Jesus' most famous sermon that he preached. And the way he begins this sermon in itself is shocking, okay? This, this is something that his hearers, as he's preaching this, it stirs something inside of them. It causes questions. It causes excitement. It causes anxiety. The Beatitudes, the first few verses in this sermon serve as a shocking introduction to this shocking sermon. Crazy, right? Um, he, Jesus doesn't start with like cute little like, you know, stories to tell or a cute little introduction or a joke to draw people in. He starts off with this invitation that completely redefines what it means to be in the kingdom of God. He starts off with a shock statement. He opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That is quite the introduction to a sermon. And in this part of the Sermon on the Mount, the, Jesus defines the kingdom of God as not about who's the greatest on their own terms. Who, who is the strongest? Who is the most gifted? Who is the most talented? No, he says, the ones who are blessed, the ones who receive this congratulatory statement are the poor in spirit, those who mourn for the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers. Not the ambitious, not the ones who step on everybody else to succeed, the ones who will do anything at all costs, the ones who fight for themselves. Jesus has completely said this mind-altering, eternally altering statement here. And that's how he starts. He says, like, look, those who trust in the Lord, those who follow them, also see a change in their life. This changes the person. This status that we have is blessed people who are poor in spirit, who mourn, who seek peace, who seek righteousness. He said, blessed are those, and that blessing changes you, and you change others in the process. God says in this statement, you may have, we may have heard this before in some other sermons, that God works in us so that he can work through us. That the change that God does in our hearts and our lives he uses to change other people, to draw other people closer to him. Not to make us look better. He doesn't say, look, blessed are you who are poor in spirit. And now that you are, man, you are good. And other people are going to look at you and want to be like you. He says, no, they're going to see that and want to be with me. And with all this stuff going on, the way Jesus is redefining these things, um, this raises some more questions, right? They may be thinking, Hey, what's this guy really saying? What does this mean? Is he saying that we need to not worry about any of this other stuff? Is he saying that the law, the prophets, all these other things that we've learned about our whole life are now irrelevant? Do we not need to? Is he getting rid of all that? And here's a cool thing Jesus cuts off the question before the questions it asks, and he says this in verse 17 Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. He says, look, 
Before they even ask, he's like, don't think this, because that's what the thought that's going on. We may see this throughout the, the Gospels, that Jesus is answering questions before the people even get a chance to ask them. It's pretty like Jesus and God-like. It's amazing. And he cuts him off, and he says, don't think that. That's not what I came to do. I didn't come to ab- abolish these things. Now, the word here, abolish, doesn't mean like to like just get rid of that law. Just kind of cast it away. We don't need to worry about it. This word abolish means destroy, to demolish. It's not to just get rid of. He's saying, I didn't come to wreck this law, to destroy it, to throw it up in arms. I came to fulfill it. I came to fulfill the law and the prophets. So what does that mean, fulfill? Well, there's a lot of different ways that, like, when you look at uh, the Greek, that, that people kind of Words mean different things. They have different connotations. And we, our English language doesn't always capture the essence of the meaning as well as the original language could. And so this word for fulfill, Don Carson talks about this a lot. If you want to go look up some more stuff about a guy who wrote beautiful things about this, Don Carson on this has like an hour-long video on YouTube that you can watch 10 minutes of and you'll get this part. Um, and he says this is more of a, a pointing to a carrying out. That when Jesus says that I came to fulfill, he's saying that, look, I came because all of the law, all of the prophets are pointing to me. I'm what they're pointing to. I'm the one who carries out everything that these laws and these prophets have written to. Everything in the Old Testament, everything in all of Scripture points to me. That's what Jesus is saying. If we look at Romans 10, Paul addresses a little bit more of this. Um, He's talking about Israel's unbelief. He's praying for the Gentiles. And he says this in verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Now, here's another thing with the Greek. There's some more stuff. Sorry, we're getting a little Greek heavy today. But I think this helps clear it up. End, this word here, is a different word. It's, it's telos. And a lot of things we, times we think of telos meaning the end. It's finished. It's done. It's over. But in context, we see that that's, these words have meanings that have bigger depth to them than just that flat meaning itself. And that for this, it's the same thing, that it's, he's the end, that it's all pointing to that Jesus is the culmination Not the finishing of the law. He's the culmination of it. All these things point to Jesus. And this is huge for our understanding of salvation, of the reason the law has been given, of why we follow the law. Does it still matter today? All this stuff is huge because Jesus says, I didn't get rid of it. Because I came, because you're saved uh, by grace through faith in me, doesn't mean that it's done. But I have filled what nobody else could. He's the one true sacrifice for sin. That's shocking, right? This is is the man who all Scripture points to. And how do we know this? Because of God's breathed out living word. Tells us so. The Bible itself tells us who Jesus is. Now, that may seem kind of obvious, but let's think about that. The Bible tells us who Jesus is. That's huge, right? When we're trying to get to know someone, we're trying to build a relationship with somebody, do we say that like we're best friends and we're like family to somebody that we've had like one or two conversations with? 
that we maybe read their Facebook profile or their dating profile or whatever? No. That gives us a little glimpse of it, but it takes what? Time, investment, connection, conversation. It takes all these things to build a relationship. We have to spend time with that person to know who they are, to know what they stand for, to know anything about them other than what we can read on the surface. And that's what the Bible is for God. It's that time. It's one of those time and treasures that we use to get to know him, where he's saying, like, you want to know who I am? It's right here. If you're wondering where I am, it's right here. If you wonder why there's pain in the world, it's right here. If you want to know, are you saved? What does that mean? It's all right here. That's what God's breathe out word is. And we spend so much time with those relationships that are important to us, right? I mean, we invest, we pour out. We pour time and energy and effort into those things. I mean, every single romantic sitcom, uh, like for one, How I Met Your Mother, uh, is one of those sitcoms where like the entire nine-year story is this, this main character, Ted, telling his kids about his journey to meet their mother, and all the pains and the trials and all the things. And through all those ups and downs that he goes through, he keeps his eye fixed on, that's, I'm searching for the one that I'm going to marry. So he goes all out in these relationships. Gives everything to him. He tries everything in the book, and it's all for that. Yet, when we come to the Lord, the God who we say that we rely on for salvation, the God who has given his life for us, the one who we even say is Lord and Savior, this book becomes more of a scanned page than a means of relationship that we're willing to give everything for. We don't seek him in that. And even when we read it, we sometimes miss the intimacy that comes from that. What's amazing about the Bible is that what Jesus is saying is that he fulfills all law. And, and, and there's other things that we can go into theologically that we don't have time for today. But what I do want to focus on is, is the scripture in this. Because with him fulfilling the law and the prophets, Jesus being the fulfillment of scripture, it draws us closer to him the more that we read it. That's why it's so essential that we read through this book every Sunday. That's why we preach on sermons. That's why we have it as our prayers. All things go through the scripture because it tells us who God is. And we may be thinking, here's some more questions. All this stuff leads to more questions, right? Does this make a difference? Like, okay, so I can know who God is, but what about those laws? There's some like funky things in there that I'm not sure <laughs> what to do with. Uh, and I'm not sure how to go about them. Um, and I wish that we could start walking through all those, but we would be here till, like, forever. Um, and you'd probably want to eat and sleep and go home and spend time with your, your family and stuff like that. So we won't do that today. But what we would do is, is say, we're going to go into a little bit of, what is our relationship to the Scripture then? So what do we do about it? Is it just about getting to know Jesus? Is there, there, is there another aspect to it as well? Can I, can I do whatever I want now? Jesus fulfilled it all. Like, can I believe and live what they call a licentious life, that now that we have salvation in Jesus Christ, I have the license to do whatever I want because he's forgiven me? Or 
he's fulfilled the law, but now oh, I still need to work to get that place. I still need to do all these good things so that I'm good enough for God in the end. Well, let's look at verse 19 to kind of launch us into this, where Jesus says, Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Each one of these people are referred to as members of the kingdom of heaven. That's the first thing I want us to take note. This is not about works righteousness. This is not something where it's like, hey, do this book and you're good. Well, good luck doing this book and you'll be good. It's really more like it. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus also isn't saying, though, because I fulfilled this, you don't need to worry about this. Because he's, he's still saying, like, this is still essential to your life. This is essential to righteousness, rightness with me. This matters. This book means everything. But why? If we are saved by grace through faith, if God so loved the world, you know, that he gave his only begotten son, so why, why does this make a difference? Why do I do these things? Well, like we said earlier, this all points to Jesus. It makes a difference in salvation, and it makes a difference in our lives. And what we, what we see, though, is that relationally, the closer we are to someone, that changes us. It's not about earning favor. It's not about recklessness and taking advantage of grace and love. This is about the product of a transformation we take place in relationship. Because the closer we are to Jesus, the more we become like him. The more we become like him, the more we do what he does. And on the end of that, the more we do what he does, the closer that we are to Jesus. Now, if some of this sounds familiar, be with Jesus, become like Jesus, do what Jesus did. If you go to our website, it may be slapped right front in the center. And that's because that's, that's what this does. That's the way God moves in us. It's a cycle. If there's a disconnect in this cycle, if there's friction in it, it's not because God has changed. It's not because God has quit, because the Bible doesn't live up to what God has said it is. It's because of sin. Sin causes friction in this. See, this is a circle where everything feeds. Being with God transforms us to be like him, and as a, matter, as, a, as a result of that transformation, we do what he does, and then we are closer with God. It keeps going. And those friction moments fracture that. Sin fractures that. That's because this is a broken world we live in. But that doesn't mean that we don't stop. It doesn't mean that God's still not at work, because that's the process of God working in our lives, is that... The more we are with Jesus, the more we are in his word, the more we are like diving into this living word and it's a part of our lives, the more we will look like this. That's the Holy Spirit at work in our life, is that we look more like this. We don't do this and then look more like Jesus. Jesus and being in relationship with him makes us look more like him. We read, we study, we pray, we gather in community because just like we said just a moment ago, the closer we are to Jesus, the more we become like him. The more we become like him, the more we do what he does. 
If this still feels a little abstract and, and like, well, like really, how does that? This is what I kind of use as my measuring stick to help me like at least get a grasp on some of these realities of God because they can be pretty tough to, to, to understand, right? And to see in, in life. So I'm going to use my wife here as an example. A woman of grace and love. And the moment we met, and she engaged in conversation with me, that was grace and love. I might have been a little bit of a problem in some ways. I was still in need of God to work on my heart in a lot of ways. The more that we spent time together, the more that we got to know each other, the more I changed too. I became not a different person, but my heart began to morph. My heart began to transform. And as a result, our relationship grew more. And out of that relationship growing more, I, would, I wanted to do more. I wanted to love her. I wanted to spend more time with her. I wanted to talk to her more. I wanted to see her more. Then it came to the point that I wanted to get married, and that was a scary thing too. So then what do you do? And then I would do those things, and it was that same cycle. The more I was with her, the more that I didn't become like her necessarily, but, but the more that we became one together, I was transformed. The more I was transformed, the more I did things to show my love, to show my affection. And then guess what? We drew closer together. And the cycle continued to go on. And I'm not saying that I'm a perfect husband in any way, shape, or form, because that's not it. I need her grace just as much as I need God's grace almost every single day. But I will say that the realities of the relationships with our family and our friends and our spouses and our lives can help show us the way that these, the God's word changes who we are. The way that God's word softens our hearts. The way, it what it actually looks like for us to be more like him. I pray for that every day in my marriage that I will love my wife more, that I will be more selfless, that I would be willing to give anything, lay down my life for her. And even in the moments that I'm selfish, I say, I'm sorry, forgive me. And then I go, Lord, help me to be a better husband because by your grace, that's the only way I can. Isn't that the same prayer that I should be making to our Lord and Savior every single day about my relationship with him? Lord, help me to love you more. Help me to be less selfish. Lord, move in my heart to make me more like you. Because by your grace, that's the only way it's going to happen. And the only way that those will become a reality, the only way that I will know those things is the more that I just dive into God's word that I hold on to this and keep this word of God as close to my heart as my wedding ring is on my finger. But so often, it kind of sits over there and I'm over here. And I'll go back to it when I need to. What would happen to my marriage if that's how I treated my marriage? What would happen to my family if that's how I treated my family? What would happen to my relationship with my best friends if that's the way I treated them? These teachings of Jesus, the word of God revealed, not just in the New Testament, but from Genesis all the way to Revelation. Guys, this shapes our lives. This changes everything. 
from here to eternity. And it's going to change not just who, who you are, not who I am, day to day. It's going to change your friendships. It's going to change your marriage. It's going to change your families. It's going to change your relationship with your coworkers. It is going to impact your life in a way that you're going to look back and be like, yep, only an act of God could do that. And maybe you're already there and you can already look at your life and say, only an act of God could have put me in this seat here today. And we celebrate that with you. Jesus has done the work to accomplish all of this so that we can grow closer to him in all things. And as we read the Old Testament, as we explore the prophets, as we read the Sermon on the Mount, as we read the rest of Scripture, my hope and prayer is that the Holy Spirit will illuminate who Jesus is to each and every one of us, to you. That the Holy Spirit will open each one of our hearts, will open your heart to know who he is more and more. And that as a result, you will draw closer to Jesus in a way that you never have before. And you'll experience a closeness with him that you never have before. We must read and digest and write on our hearts this word of God. He's revealed it to us for a reason. So wherever you are today, wherever you are spiritually, whether you've been a Christian for five seconds, five minutes, negative five years, negative 10 years, 50 years, whatever it may be, if, you feel, if God feels far, he's right here. He is near. If God feels distant, he's close. If God feels abstract, he is right here and tangible. He's right here. As the song, uh, as, as Ryan was leading us in worship just a moment ago, that song, God give me a heart abandoned. Ever after you alone. Gold and silver, you can take it. All I want is you, my Lord. All I want is you, my Lord. I pray that we come to love him more and more, that he reveals himself to us more and more, and that in the end, as a result of all of these things, that we will be with Jesus, that we will become like Jesus, and that we will do what Jesus did. May that be our prayer. Amen.